Well, hey there, and welcome to episode number 71 of Groove, the No Treble podcast, which you can always find at notreble.com. My name is Mitch Joel. Let's get on with the show. are you and what do you do? Hi, this is Mohini Day and I'm a bass player. Hey Mohini, I'm super pumped that you agreed to do this. I've been following you for a long time and as I was telling you prior to recording, we've actually met maybe once or twice over at NAM, but I don't expect you to remember anybody you meet at NAM because whenever you're there there's this mad mob of of I think it's two kinds of people and you can correct me if I'm wrong. One is they have no idea who you are. And I'm, I'm guessing out of their periphery, they see a young woman just blasting the hell out of the base and they are mesmerized. Or on the other right. hand, you have people who know exactly who you are, love you, following you on the schedule and just can't wait to see you play again. Is that, does that sum it up pretty well? Right. Firstly, thank you so much for having me on your show. And uh, talking about NAM, it is a very, very chaotic uh, situation. But, um, you know, last to last year was my first time. And coming from India, you know how populated we are in our place. So uh, we're, you know, I'm the place where I live in, it's called Mumbai. And that's where I uh, was born. In, and uh, I've uh, had my upbringing all my life till date um, in Mumbai. So I've grown up in a crowdy place. And so going to Nam, it kind of just, I felt like I was brought home and I kind of belonged there. Um, and that's very, very rare for uh, anybody to feel like that, that you're, you know, actually you feel like, you know, you've been here before. So I felt like I've been there before, but I obviously w- hadn't been there Um Anyway, I go there and I take my few steps into the you know auditorium and I see so many people and so many boots and so many companies you know promoting their products and the strange part was everybody was looking at me already you know and that was my first time to Nam so I did not really expect anybody to know me um, uh, in India when I'm walking here and there people will notice me and be like oh you know she's a bass player or if I'm at the airport traveling then people will you know take pictures and everything but I did not expect anybody to know me in the U.S. Um, So I just went there with an open mind and uh, I, you know, I just started walking around and looking at uh, different companies, tried out a few bases, tried out a few string sets, head amps, and uh, then I was off to my performances because I had like a, you know, really long list of performances that I had to do because I was endorsing Mark Bass amps, um, you know, mayonnaise bases, Asidy strings, Groove Gear, Layton Bass Wear, uh, TC Electronic, Bass Pedals, Providence Cables, um, but I don't know, I think I'm missing out on some <laughs> But, um, you know, like a long list of, you know, uh, products that I was endorsing at that point. So I was, you know, playing for um, their companies and doing these like short uh 15 to 30 minutes performances at every booth. And so I was running from one booth to the other, like very quickly. And so I did not have much time to like, you know, actually greet or meet people. And uh, I think that's when I met you. Yes, <laughs> I don't probably know, in, in between. Specific- was it last year? Did, did we meet last year or yeah. last last year? I think it was both. 
Okay, awesome. So yeah, every single time it was that. This this the last time what was different was I would say people were more familiar with me yeah. and they uh, they they knew that I was going to come, you know, and the, I made more waves before even coming there. The first time around, I did not make more waves by waves. I mean, I did not like say that I'm coming there, you know, um, I just went there and I did my thing. But the second time around, I actually, you know, posted saying that, you know, I'm going to be at NAM, you know. And uh, yeah, the second time around, I think I got more response and uh, a lot more people, people wanted me to work with them. And I think it's a great, uh, you know, so, uh, environment environment for people to get a lot of work and make a lot of contacts but unfortunately i am very very uh i don't know what word to use for me but if somebody tells me that oh here's my card and you know we would love to work with you i just take the card and i put it in my bag and then i never remember to like you know <laughs> write to them because <laughs> i come back to india and then i'm busy with my own national work you know that i do in here so it's never been like a requirement or a necessity for me to like write to them. And I'm, it just does, it's not in my character when I'm like, oh, hi, this is Moini Day. And, you know, you gave me your card. And so I'm writing to you. <laughs> so, you know, I'm not that kind of person who like does that or have ever done that. So maybe I feel a little like uncomfortable doing that. Um, but uh, yeah, every time I had a blast being at NAM, it, it was so, so, so nice. I got to meet so many amazing musicians, having uh, played with Hadrian Farad, um, you know, Cody Wright. And these are like, you know, friends that you meet online and bass player friends that you meet online and you see them doing incredible work. And never in your life you think that you're going to actually meet them. And but at Nam, your you know dreams come in reality, where you're meeting like Derek Bennett and people who are doing great work online, not only online but you know in every way. So um, yeah, I got to meet like so many amazing people. I'm really fortunate that I was able to uh, be at Nam two times, and I hope that it happens again soon, so we can all you know do the uh, revive our memories and have a blast again. Yeah, people don't realize. Like I, I always, I always explain them. It's like Bizarro World, where the ratio of human to rock star is inverted, like from reality. So it's like everyone there is some kind of rock star, musician, amazing player, and you just get to yeah. So, like you'll be walking down the aisle, yeah, you're like, yeah. oh, there's Gary Willis. Oh, there's Billy Sheehan. Oh, there's Divinity Rocks. Oh, there's. It just doesn't end. <laughs> Yes, it does not. The the one like you know, you take a step and then you meet somebody. You take another step, you meet somebody, and they're all really, really talented, intelligent, uh, you know, hardworking, famous people. You know, and I think that whole environment is like a different world altogether. And uh, you just come to celebrate each other's, um, you know, musicianship. I feel. Yeah, and you say you know, there's a lot of booths to check out, but the Marks Bass Amp booth, it's basically a soundstage. And because it's a massive convention center, they give yeah. the attendees these headphones. And so you see right. these people rocking out on stage and these people in the audience, like lots of them, are wearing these headphones. The sound is amazing. And, yeah. and, and magic happens on that stage. Like I've seen magic happen on that stage. It's incredible. Okay. Totally. You know, I played with Dean Brown on that stage. I was there. Life. Yeah. Like I thought, you know, I would play with Hagen because, uh, you know, he's like an idol to me. And I grew up listening to him and even Dean Brown. And he was just like, hey, you want to come over and play? I was like, hell, hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, yeah. Actually, we were actually going to do uh, a concert together, Dean and I. But that didn't work out due to like unavailability of dates because uh, I do a lot, a lot of work in India. 
But it's so strange, like I said, because, you know, I, I did not expect anybody to know me there. But I guess everybody already knew me because I was very famous online due to the day by day, very viral video online, you know, and everybody noticed me and uh, realized that, oh, it's the same girl, but she grown up now. Yeah. You know, so let's 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 do a bit of the origin story here for people who don't know. Um, you are 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 wise beyond your years, but you're pretty young. You're you're what twenty six now, twenty seven. No, I'm twenty four. Twenty four. Okay, so yeah. I, not to make yeah. you sound older, Mohini. Right? Like how rude of me. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> um, cool. But the really that's cool, everybody's yeah. reaction. I would. Yeah, they think that, I mean, but if you look at me, you won't feel like I'm like, you know, 27, 28. But if, if you're on the phone with me, just like on a voice call, people are all, you know, they mistake, they can be mistaken for like a 30 year old or a 35. Or so, if they just hear yeah. you're playing and don't see you, they're not going to think this well, person's 24. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I agree. <laughs> so let's talk a bit about your origin story. I've been doing this show for six years where I try to inter- I'm trying to interview everybody from all different types of playing. My, my real goal here is to build the largest oral history of electric bass players. And it's been a lot of fun to work with the people in No Trouble to do this. And I've really Absolutely. enjoyed it because I love every style of music and I love culture and I love people who come from different and varied backgrounds. But I will tell you that I think you're the first person in the hundreds of interviews I've done that is a second generation bass player. It's, it's a very oh. unique story. So y- your dad is a very well-respected and well-known session player. You can correct me if I'm wrong. And he got, yeah. you, he got you started very early or were you sort of sitting around the house going, let me try that, dad? How did it, what, how okay. did it start? Okay, so um, basically my mom is a Hindustani classical singer and my dad is a bass player, like everybody knows. And um, they were... They basically, I, let me start from the very, very start when they ha- weren't married. Okay, uh, so my dad was doing a lot of gigs in Calcutta, a city in India, and my mom was also from Calcutta, and she was doing gigs separately. And they fell in love together. They had a band together, and they got married, and they moved to Mumbai. Okay, but both their families weren't supportive of their decision and their marriage because at that time, obviously, getting falling in love and getting married to each other was not like something. which was appreciated or even supported so uh, they took a risk and they got you know they just did it themselves and they moved to Mumbai and then they had me and mind you they were not very financially strong so when you have a baby during that kind of situation you gotta think what you want to do and somebody has to give up something to be able to take care of the baby which was me right so my mom stopped doing the gigs uh she said you know what i'm gonna stay at home and i'm gonna take care of the baby and you go do your work and i'm gonna have the food ready when you come home and she's she became kind of like the homemaker you know and she uh just gave up on her career and then just you know took care of me and uh my dad 
was working a lot. He started touring a lot. You know, he played with the Bob Marley band once. He played with Bon Jovi once, and he was, you know, rocking it in the Bollywood industry in here in India. And he was playing for like, you know, a lot of movies in here, background scores, jingles, and he was doing a lot of like, you know, great great gigs in here with people like Nusrat Fatih Ali Khan, uh, Hari Harun, um, so many like you name it. He has played with every single person. Okay. So when he had me, um, uh, my dad always says this to me now, after I was born, apparently everything changed in his life in a good way where they saw a light within me and they saw a different kind of energy that uh, came into the house. And I brought Saraswati in the house. Now, Saraswati means a lot of like, you know, it's a blessing. But at the same time, after I was born, I, uh, w- w- you know, financially, we started doing better. Apparently, that's what he told me. So after I was born, he started doing really, really good. And then we moved into another house, a bigger house. Now, I want to give you a little backstory of what my parents went through to give me a better life. Okay, because a lot of people only see the shiny side and be like, oh, you know, you guys had oh, you had a, you know, both your parents as musicians. And that's why you had a very easy life. But actually not. Uh, not many people know this, but my parents, they would be hungry and they would starve themselves to feed me, to save that food and to feed me. There have been times when my dad wouldn't earn enough and he would, uh, you know, he would uh, pick up food from the garbage bin and, you know, he would eat that and he would buy new food just to feed me, you know, with the little saving that he would do. So times like that. And when they moved to Mumbai, they didn't even have a house. So they were staying as a paying guest with somebody and they used to live on a terrace, on some buildings terrace. So it was like open air, nothing, just a floor, you know. And every time my mom had to use the loo, she would have to go knock on somebody's door and use their bathroom. You know what I'm saying? So they have been to really, really tough times. And so they never wanted me to have that life. And my dad worked really, really hard. And my mom supported him in every way possible to give me that better life. So once they started doing uh, better financially, they got a new house and uh, then uh, then uh, yeah then then everything just started falling into place i would say um he started gigging even uh more and he started doing more session work and um so when i got to the age i would say three years old um i start he started noticing my dad started noticing that i was really drawn towards music because my mom used to sing in the house even though she was not gigging she would always sing in the house while cooking or you know taking shower or while feeding me, you know, so music was always floating in the house. When dad woke up in the morning, he would play some Jaka Pastorius or he would play some, you know, a Herbie Hancock or, you know, Chikoria and all these kind of music. So when a kid is exposed to that kind of stuff early on at the age of three, four and growing up, you're listening to like Hindustani classical music and you're listening to pop, you're listening to jazz, you're listening to funk music and you're listening to like Carnatic music, so many types of music. You, you, you have this wide range of spectrum that your brain and your heart and your soul and your whole system is getting kind of used to. And it's kind of understanding what's going on, you know, because I was a bud, you know, and now when you show love to it or you're exposing it to something, it's going to react to it. And my reaction was positive. I fell in love with the beats, you know, and um, my other thing my dad used to do is every time he would practice at home, 
So we didn't have uh, an amplifier that time, obviously, uh, but he had this like uh, processor, a boss processor. And uh, so he would um, put headphones in and he would put the headphones on my ears and he would just play and practice his scales and grooves. And he would uh, make me hear what he is playing. And one day it just ha happened so that, you know, he was playing and I started tapping the right tempo. And that really blew his mind. Like at the age of three, I was tapping the right tempo. And uh, he, it suddenly just, you know, clicked to him saying, you know, in his head, he was thinking, there is no female bass player apart from Esperanza Spalding at that time. There is no female bass player. Um, and in India, there were none, you know. So he said to himself, I'm going to, you know, he told my mom, he told my mom that I'm going to teach her to play the bass. And then it's her choice whether she wants to pursue it as her profession or not. But I'm going to push her and I'm going to seriously give her lessons. And I think it's only going to give, uh, bring joy in her life and happiness in her life. And then, you know, later on, if she decides she doesn't want to do it, it's fine. But it's there's no harm in learning music you know so yeah that was kind of my journey where he started teaching me so and uh, at that time he also uh, had this friend called Sunil in uh, Mumbai and why I'm mentioning it is because you know these guys are still they still exist and they still they have seen my growth and they still know that you know that this little girl I made a handmade base for this little girl so Sunil and my dad they literally chopped pieces of wood and they my dad uh, took out his pickups from the bass that he used to play a fender bass that he used to play and he put that on this you know handmade bass and they literally made a handmade bass just for me so that i could practice on it can you imagine so so what was it like to I, take what's it like to take lessons from your dad how was he as a teacher at what point was your dad like okay uh you're better than me move on what was that like <laughs> Oh, well, that is always tough, right? You know, uh, but um, I think I, I'd say I started seriously, take, I, I seriously started taking lessons around the age of six, I would say. Um, uh, my first lessons were daddy, mommy, just, you know, uh, just playing the first finger, second finger, right hand, you know, not even, not even left hand yet, but uh, just like, you know, the beginner exercises, just getting the flexibility right and all that. And my first scale that I learned was a C major, I still remember. And um, yeah, so I would, I would say around the age of six, I started uh, seriously taking lessons from dad. He was a great teacher. Uh, his theory was bang on. But, uh, I, you know, after a point, you start realizing that there are more things that you need to learn because I was stuck for a long time. Uh, I would say around the age of, I would say, 11. Uh, I realized that I was doing the same thing over and over again. And I, I kind of felt stuck. And I felt like I needed to know more so that I can be more smoother on the fretboard and more fluent on the fret fretboard. So then he took me to one of his uh, bass player friend's house uh, called Carl Peters. And I went to his house. He gave me some lessons. And that helped me a little bit. And then... Uh, um, and. There was no internet, okay? So I didn't have any computer in the house. So that was like, I was doing everything, just uh, uh, playing um, CD uh, with a DVD player that we had at home. And we'd like just play it on the TV. And I would have to, you know, use the remote to re rewind and hear, you know, minutely and then stop, pause, play. So it was a, it would take a lot of time, you know? And it was very, very time consuming. But I think since I learned the hard way, I have really good um, 
ears for music. I can literally just, you know, hear music and I can pick up stuff like in no time. Like I can learn a song within seconds, you know. Um, and that, I think, has been um, the result of, um, you know, just this foundation that I've had, which is learning the hard way around. Was your, was your, um, dad, te- was, was your dad teaching you music theory, how to read music? How did that come in? No, so he did not teach me how to read and write because he did not know. Of course, he could read harmony and everything. Uh, but, you know, when it comes to like uh, transcription or, you know, like treble clef notation and all that, it, it, it was not a big thing in here back then. Uh, now it is kind of important. But back then it was not like nobody was actually reading music. But my dad could read a little bit. So he taught me like little, little things like stuff that he knew. But uh, like I said, since I felt so stuck because I knew that, OK, this is all he could offer. Now it's my journey. Now I got to do it on my own. You know, I have to stand up on my feet and I have to, even if it's walking out of the house or having clashes with my dad or, you know, fighting with him, I don't know, but you have to do it. Like I just told myself and definitely we went through a lot of fights where I was like, no, I'm not understanding this. I don't think you know it. And I said things and he said things, you know, because now we're having these ego clashes because we have two bass players in the house, (laughs) you know? So talk about, um, I'm really curious, talk about what are some of the first steps you took to start figuring out what comes after that? Really nothing, to be frank. I just knew in my head that I was stuck, that this feeling was not something normal to feel. Because I was, uh, you know, when you're like doing something and you're trying to play something, you can learn everything. But uh, the, t- the time when I would tell you, I think to answer your question, I'll tell you, I could do everything uh, if I sing. Okay, so I could solo with my, you know, vocal ability, uh, but I could not solo on my fretboard. And I wanted that sync to happen. I wanted that, uh, you know, um, just a real time sync to happen where I don't have to think and then play. You know, I wanted the thinking and playing to happen at the same time, which is you know, what you want to do at the end of the day. Uh, And I was struggling a big time. So nobody was, you know, there to kind of guide me that this is how you're supposed to do. Uh, Fortunately, the internet kicked in then. (laughs) And then I got introduced to YouTube. And thanks to YouTube, you can find everything on there and you can find everything on Google. So then I started typing questions like, um, what do I do to get my sync right? Obviously, it's not going to give you any results because you got to write what kind of sync because there could be any kind of sync. So then I said, okay, my second question was um, struggling in music uh, uh, um, theory. And then it gave me like a lot of these, you know, sites where you can learn and everything. But it was really, really deep. And I don't think and I, w- I was ready to take all that. Uh, it was too much information, I would say, at that time. I was only 11, you know. Um, uh, so then I that, told, that part uh, blows me away the most. The fact that you're 11 and doing this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was really ahead of my age, maybe because I was already, uh, now I, 
remember, I started gigging when I was nine years old. Okay, so I was learning music and I was able to groove and everything. The the part that I was struggling on was uh, soloing through changes. You know, uh, trying to get my voice uh, to sync with my playing, so I don't have to sing first and then find it out on the fretboard. You know, and I was able to do that with improvisations and grooving, and I was really good at that at that age. But I was really struggling to um, you know express my stories and be more lyrical with my solos. It's not that I could not solo. I just wanted to be better. You know, so I was trying to kind of find answers on the internet, and of course, they're not going to find answers on the internet because it's something that comes with a lot of experience and playing with a lot of better people who would kick you in the ass. You know, and that happened at the age of twelve when my dad took me to Ranjit Uncle. Now, this figure in my life, he plays a very, very important role in my life because he's like my second father. Uh, his name is Ranjit Barrett, and he is um, the drummer for John McLaughlin. And uh, he was really good friends with my dad at that time. And uh, they were playing together in different kinds of setups. And uh, he knew that my dad knew how it could help me uh, playing with a drummer. And he was a very, very powerful drummer. And he has played with people like you can name. You can, he has played with Miles Davis. He has played with, um, I don't know, Kaya Card, um, Etienne Abape, um, et cetera, et cetera, like lot lot of people so he's a big guy you know so my dad took me to him to his studio and he did not mention that i play the bass so my dad literally just told him that i'm getting a cd for you and that cd was actually me so i arrived there with my bass and uh, he looks at me and then ranji's uncle goes so nice to meet you Um, uh, so nice to see you your dad has been talking about you and um, my dad was like well this is the gift for you and like in a kidding way, you know, and Ranjit was like, oh, is this the CD you were talking about? <laughs> huh. So then uh, my dad was like, yeah, that's my CD. And uh, now I want you to finesse it. And um, Ranjit was like, OK, let's hear it. And then I start playing this 5-8 tune by Victor Wooten. Sure. Um, Great uh, uh, yeah, uh, this, um, who was the drummer for this song? Carter Buford. You know, there's this like, so there's a beautiful song that I picked up and I used to play it all the time. So I thought it would be really nice if I played something in five because he is a time guru. Okay. And he's like, you know, the best with odd time signatures and nobody can keep up with him because his time is so good. Like if you want to get into his band, your time has to be bang on, you know, otherwise you're not going to last there. So, so literally I took a chance and I just, you know, played that song and he started tapping on his lap and he started playing with me and he got really, really impressed. And he said, you got to come, you got to keep coming to me like at least two or three times a week and we have to play together because I was not playing with any drummer, you see. So it was very important for me to start feeling everything with a drummer, with a band. And that's when I started doing like bigger gigs, uh, bigger uh, shows with him. I played with, uh, you know, played in music festivals with him. Started doing these club gigs where we would play jazz standards and even play like some funk stuff and you know, like Carnatic stuff. And that's when I got introduced to Carnatic music because that was a completely different world too. Because in India we have so many different cultures and languages and tastes. Like every color is so different, you know. So can you um, explain for people who may not know what that is? 
um, I'm from Mumbai, right? And we, I- I'm sure like, you know, you guys also have different, um, you know, accents, right? In uh, different cities. Well, I'm in right? Canada. We've got a lot of French where I am. So yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> right? So like if French people speak, you know, Canadian, then it's just, you know, like it's different, right? You know, with the Canada accent or like Americans, when they're from Texas, they sound different or if they're from Chicago, they sound different, you know? So like same here, when you when you find people in Mumbai, they will have a very slang way of talking. They have this swag, you know, and they'll talk Hindi. But you fi- you go to South Side in India and you'll find people, if they speak Hindi, because firstly, they cannot speak Hindi very well, but if they speak, they have a different accent. Uh, and they'll speak English very differently. And Mumbai people will speak English very differently. So we have very different backgrounds. We have different styles of uh, food. Uh, you know, in Mumbai, street food is very famous. In the south, idli dosa and sambar is very famous. <laughs> um, in the north, um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, beef. There's a lot of uh, fried stuff, which is very, very famous. So every city has their own speciality, you know. And since, because of that, because of this uh, crazy diverse culture there is uh, music which is also very very different so from city to city we have different kinds of music um so in um calcutta which is the bengal west bengal side you have a lot of bengali folk music in mumbai you will have all the hit songs coming out of mumbai because we have the bollywood industry here where movies are produced you know and in the south side, you will hear a lot of Tamil music, South Indian music, North Indian music, Telugu, Kannada, uh, Tulu, you know. So like so many languages we have over, I think, like some, I don't know, over 50 languages. I'm, I think I'm saying less. Even, I think it's more. So with so many different types of languages, just like different languages, we have different types of music because... Um, there will be Tamil lyrics, there will be Hindi lyrics, there will be English lyrics. And um, Karnatak side, um, there were different kinds of instruments made, like mridangam, kanji, kanjira, then sitar, you know, that's more famous towards that side. Whereas in Mumbai, you have, Mumbai is called kind of the fusion ground where you can find everything. And uh, there is a saying in here, if you make it in here, you can make it anywhere because it's so competitive. And it's very, very self-centered also as a city. It's um, like the so New like York it, of... of <laughs> yes, absolutely right. That is absolutely right. You're absolutely correct. So like if somebody falls down on the street, nobody's going to look at you. You just help yourself, you know. Right. Get everybody's up, yeah. Too busy. Yeah, everybody's too busy in their own lives. It's a very, very fast city. Like you will not find one hour, uh, even at night, uh, that the roads are empty. It's always full. There's always traffic. People are always working in here. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, like Mumbai is uh, the hub of everything. Um, and so as a kid growing up, I got used to uh, listening to different kinds of music. And it, just having both my parents as musicians where my dad was like, you know, towards the jazz side and the funk side. My mom was like totally Hindustani classical where we have all the ragas coming, you know, like Yaman and, you know, Todi and, uh, you know, uh, like so many it's just like modes, but we have different names in here. You know what I'm saying? So I started learning like Hindi raga names for the jazz modes that we have, which is so fun, you know, but it's too much information. You can't remember everything. Cause then when I'm here working with people uh, who uh, want to know the term for the, you know, Hindustani classical, then I'd be like, Oh, okay. Yaman. Uh, and then when I go to the West side, that would be Lydian you know <laughs> so cool. it's so cool um, it's it, so cool to hear this it's just awesome but you know 
Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because, you know, I feel very fortunate that I have grown up in here because I feel like I'm very um, well fed with all the knowledge. And even though I didn't want to be fed with all this knowledge, I just happen to, you know, have it in my system because it's part of our culture. You know, I have two questions about that. This whole t- awesome piece of content that you just gave me. And they're very, very different. So I'm going to start with one. Talk okay. to me about. I mean, you're nine, you're 10, you're 11, you're 12. You start working with, with Randy, all these different people. It's so interesting. What are your yeah. friends thinking? Are your friends like, this is the weirdest friend I ever have. Are they thinking this is so cool? <laughs> and I'm also curious about it because look at those ages, you get very influenced by your friends and by what's happening in popular culture. So where did, right. so what was going on? Like, what were your friends like? Like, and what, what music was inspiring you on the other side of you listening to Herbie and Chick and, you know, Hindustani music and all that. So, you know, um, since I had uh, my parents who would, who were always in control of me till a certain point, I would say they made sure that I never got carried away by all the nonsense, you know, that kids can get carried away with, which is, you know, at a, like when you're 12 and, you know, boys start hitting on you and everything and they want to take you out and everything. I was not allowed to have friends, by the way. <laughs> okay, that solves that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, you know, like my dad was very, very strict and I was brought up in a very, very strict family. Uh, my mom was a little bit linear, but my mom... Uh, I'm sorry, my dad was really strict on me and he literally treated me like I was if I was a boy because he wanted me to be strong because in India, you know that like, you know, even today, not many Indian women can walk on the streets without getting eye candied or without getting, you know, um, you know, passed on comments by, you know. So it's it's kind of like a situation where you start feeling uncomfortable um, as a kid growing up and. When I was born, so this is another thing. I'm giving you a little backstory because this has affected me when I was kid. When I was a kid, so when I was born, my extended family were not very happy because I was a girl. They wanted a boy, you know. Uh, my parents were really, really happy because they always wanted a girl. Um, and then the second time around, my sister was born, and uh, they were not happy again because uh, she was a girl again. So. We literally grew up with that, you know, like we never got grandmother's or grandfather's love. We never got that, you know, um, that extended family love. So for me, family was just my mom and dad and my sister, you know, and our dogs that we had. Um, (laughs) They were my more sisters, if I may say. Those were uh, were your friends, the dogs. Yeah, (laughs) those were my friends. Like, yeah, totally, totally. So as a kid growing up, I started seeing that. Uh, all these boys really take women for granted. And like, I was shown sympathy at like, you know, whenever I would go with my dad to studios, I started noticing like little, little things where uh, the friends of uh, my dad, they would be like, Oh, she plays the bass. Oh my God. Okay. So that was like, you know, for them, it was like, Oh my God, you know, why did you teach her? Like she's a girl and you're teaching her like a masculine instrument, you know, and my dad never thought like that. My dad was like, no, she's stronger than anybody out there, you know, like just because she's a girl, she ain't weak. And she, he always had that fire inside him because of the fact that, you know, his family did not accept and did not like that I was a girl, you know, and he wanted to prove them wrong and he wanted to prove the whole world um, wrong and change people's outlook towards looking at girls, you know, like that they, they, they aren't weak 
they are stronger than anybody out there and they can do the same things as a guy can do and my father always taught me as a kid growing up that you know you are the most beautiful creation on this planet and you know you are the most powerful because only you can give you can make another uh you know human being we cannot we weak than you you know so i was always you know given that education piece of it you know um you know education and i grew up with that and I, so i was very very you know proud of myself and i was very happy with myself but going out to the real world where you have to face all these challenges and look at all these different kinds of mindsets and deal with all these different kinds of outlooks you start thinking and you start doubting yourself that oh is this the world that i live in or my dad just you know uh, you know protected me all this time uh and made me grow in this safe environment at home and now i have to face this real world so now what do i do do i you know bash or do i just you know stay quiet you know um so uh, coming back to the situation w- which i was you know mentioning which was my every time my dad took me to um his studio recording sessions i would uh, sometimes like tag along with him just to see how he's recording and what is the whole process of recording when you're recording for a movie song or if you're recording for a jingle are there charts given sometimes he'll ask me to make charts by the way like harmony charts and i'd make it and then he would check and be like okay this is how you make a bar and this is how you close a bar and this is how you repeat and this is how you write this chord this and that you know he would like train me while he's doing his own work and sometimes he'll give me the bass and he'd be like maybe play something you know and i'll play something and um i started enjoying that attention um uh and that spotlight where people started appreciating me appreciating my playing you know um but as a kid, as a girl child growing up i would say along with the appreciation there was some kind of this sympathy factor which was always shown towards me that oh you know she young she's going to get there she's going to be okay you know like as if they were trying to say that she's going to be okay but she's never going to be as good as a guy you know what i'm saying like there's always like this like sympathetic side and like taunting side always that it kind of like they're always in the tone of people where they would try to say that oh you know uh, it's really cute you know but <laughs> like that's not what i want to hear yeah almost like it's um like it's a parlor trick not real yeah yeah yeah, yeah. they were always trying to kind of tell me that oh you know yeah after a few years it's going to be okay like as if they're trying to say that i'm going to stop doing it or i'm not going to be as good as the other people okay um so stuff like that anyway So having said that when I when I was exposed to those kind of situations it gave me more fire inside me and I became more angry and became more rebellious you know as a kid and I think that helped a lot in my playing because I started working harder on myself to prove these people wrong you know <laughs> and um I started uh, just locking myself up in room in in my room for like you know 12 16 hours or so sometimes even skipping lunch dinner would not eat would not drink my health was get, getting affected so I did that for I would say good 2 to 3 years okay like just working on myself locking into a room in front of my laptop So by that time my dad had given me a second hand laptop his friend had given him and he had given it to me he bought it for me so that I can work on myself because he realized that now it's my journey okay that now I'm I'm going to have to do things by myself cuz he gave his token of education and he gave his token of love he gave whatever he had inside of him and now I have to do it myself so uh what was the age I moved out I moved out of my house when I was 
17, I would say. 17. And is that, is that yeah. around the same time where you started discovering YouTube? Was it then? No, it was, it's, I started discovering YouTube at the age of, I would say 14. Okay. Yeah. 14, okay. 15. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'm really, like, these are, sorry, sorry. I, I'm really curious. Talk a bit about the, and this is the other part when we were talking about the different styles of music in India and the different cultures from areas and, and languages and how that creates that musical culture. Talk a bit yeah. about uh, the Western influence of music on you, because you mentioned your dad uh, playing Jacko for you. You yeah. mentioned Victor Wooten, you mentioned Marcus Miller, and then other names like Cody and Herbie have come up. Talk yes. about yes. your journey with that, because I remember being, you know, way older when I started playing, I was 14, <laughs> and hearing Jacko and it it tilting my world, but because I was more of like a metal head and that whole thing, wow. I, I appreciated it and I listened to it, but it didn't impact me until I started excelling more at the instrument. So I'm wondering from, from in terms of your culture, when did mm. Western influence really influence you, not just because it was the music your father played, but because you started developing a, a, a passion for it? Um, I was always drawn towards music, uh, I, but I never wanted to do it professionally. Let me say that. I wanted to be a fashion designer, okay? I wanted to be, like, I wanted to do that professionally. But my father was not very supportive of, supportive of that because he always thought that, you know, uh, I have spent too many years working on myself and I've worked really hard on myself musically. And he always saw something inside my eyes, like in my eyes. And he saw that I could do something in life musically. And he didn't want me to give that up for anything else. Which I totally understand, and he was completely right. But I it's kind of it, it, it is a crazy story, Mohini, because you would think that, uh, and any parent, in, in, at least where I live, if it was my child wants to study to work in fashion design or be a musician, you would be like shoving them into fashion design. But because of the nature of yeah. your parents, there was less risk in their perspective for you to go into music, which is absurd. It's crazy. I think his uh, ideation was such that he said, you know, there are many female fashion designers out there, but there is no female bass player and you can play, you know, so just finish that and you'll be something else. You'll be the next big thing. And I see that in you and I see like he saw that in me, you know, you know, and that's very that was very, I don't know if I should call it like kind, sweet, or he already saw something, maybe because I'm his little girl and he saw the fire in me and he saw the dedication that I had. But I would say that no matter what field I would have gone into, I would have still excel excelled at it. I would say that because I was a very, very sincere student, even in school. You know, when I uh, did my 12th board exams, I scored a 96%. So I was like one of the top rankers. So um, I was very, very good in academics. I was a, always I was always a bright student. So I was I always knew that about myself, that no matter what field I go in, I am going to do it if I want to do it. You know, that's just in that's just my character. Like if I want to do something, I'm going to do it no matter what, like however possible. If I want something, I'm going to get it, you know. <laughs> So um, there was a time, to answer your question, there was a time in my life, uh, and this was around the age of, I would say, uh, 14 or 15. 
uh, when I had to make a choice. Uh, this was during my 12 board exams. I was giving my exams. I was, you know, sh uh, shuffling between different cities. I was traveling in between my exams also. So there were times when from straight from the airport, I went to my center to give exams crazy times like I was traveling giving exams coming back to the studio recording and going back to the center writing my papers and again going back you know it was a lot of traveling and I didn't want to do all of that hassle because my health condition was kind of you know getting affected with all this traveling and no sleep but my father always told me that you know this hard work is going to pay off when you get older baby you know so um I know this is hard for you now but trust me this is you're going to get older and you're going you're gonna to be like, thank God I did that. And now I can chill, you know, and I'm so thankful to him and my, both my parents for, you know, treating me, giving me that right education and that right lifestyle and just making me the person who I am today, because I really think that now, like I can chill and I ha I'm fortunate enough to say no to a work if I don't want to do it, you know, um, I. But when you're starting in the music industry, you have to be open to everything so that you get the experience that you need, because otherwise you won't know what challenges you, you know. Um, but also going back to the question that you asked me, what were your friends thinking? So when I was in school and I was, you know, uh, doing my um, I don't know. Do you do you guys call, uh, call it college, junior college or like high school? It depends. Like I'm in Canada, so it's also different, but let's just say senior high school, college, whatever. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like my friends, they always thought that I was not, um, like a 15 year old. They always thought that I was like, you know, a 40 year old in my head and I would find them very, very cheesy because all they could talk about is their crushes and, you know, uh, funny things that happened, uh, in their, um, you know, class, or stuff like that, you know, like really cheesy stuff or somebody said something and they start laughing at it all together. And I never understood that because I was so busy with my life. I had a very, very tight schedule from a very young age. I would wake up at like 5 a.m. in the morning, uh, you know, uh, have my breakfast, you know, go to school by six. My bus would pick me up, go take me to school. And then my school hours would go to go till 12.30 p.m. I'd come back home, have my lunch, have shower, start doing my classes, homework. That would go on for like, you know, two and a half, three hours. Then my private tutor would come at around 5 p.m. She would teach me till like 7 p.m. And then I would do school homework. Now, school homework is a different homework and private tutor homework is a different homework. So after she leaves, I got to do that till like 8.30 p.m. Then I get like a half an hour break and then I have my dinner and then I do my music practice till 12 a.m. So it was ev this was every day, you know, so I had a really, really strict childhood <laughs> and uh, I was very, very sad also as a kid. But my mom, dad made sure that I was not getting depressed by playing with us sometimes so like friday saturday nights we would play all these like um uh, indoor games and sometimes even outdoor games like i'd play carom with dad um i still play carom with dad by the way this is like a thing it's so fun and then we would play badminton um i had my building boys um so unfortunately we did not have any girls in my building so all my age group uh, you know, kids were boys. So I ended up playing boys games like cricket and football Friday, Saturday and Sunday. That's it. 
So those were my chill days, but um, they would always, my my dad would always make sure that at the end of the day and during the start of the day, I practiced so-and-so hours, you know, and he'd ask me, did you do that? Okay, let me hear it, you know? So I cannot go to sleep if I don't play him the exercise, and if he does not see an improvement, you practice. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was Crazy. a great, great, yeah, he was a great teacher. I would say that it might be too hard on some people, and for a listener, it might be like, oh, my God, that's that's too harsh or that's too strict, you know. But I think if you if you're not that if he was not that way with me, I don't think I would have been this good today. You know what I'm saying? Such a such an amazing run. So, I mean, we're running out a little bit out of time, but I want to talk to you about a couple of things. So bear with me. One okay, is sure. talk to me about YouTube, because you to me, when I look at your body of work and you've done some amazing stuff with people like Steve I and all you, sorts sir. of different stuff, it's very hard to not pay attention to how powerful YouTube has been, not just for you to consume content and learn, but to actually get the world That's to know so who you are. That is so true. And, you know, to be frank, I did, know, I did not know uh, what power this internet world holds until my video started getting, like, a lot of views. And it was not even me who was shooting those, you know. There's just some random people would come to the shows and they would, you know, shoot uh, videos on their phones and put it up online. And then suddenly you see, like, millions of views. And I'm like, oh, my God, like, how does that even happen? And then I started learning more about like you know how youtube can be monetized and how you can put out videos and get followers and then instagram happened and then you put out these cute photos of you with bases and you know you get more followers and subscribers and all that so it's all a you know business game and i started learning more about that and um, i would say through these years of involvement as a person as a human being, as a musician, uh, I have learned a lot about business tactics, right? How to communicate with people, how to be uh, presentable, you know, um, in terms of not just presenting yourself as a musician or as a basis, but more like a brand, because that's what the world is now. It's very, very digital. And, you know, organizers coming to you, trying to contact you and get you on board for music festivals and stuff or a music shoot or, you know, music video or any any sort of project like that. They want to see content first on YouTube. You know, uh, they want to be able to see some type of uh, video or some type of audio to see if you are actually a performer for a performer you know so i think internet world that way it's really really uh powerful where you can not only gain a different kind of audience but also keep in touch with this audience that you have you know and grow your audience even more which you actually can't do if you're traveling also that much with the internet world you can just sit at home and target a certain type of audience you know what i'm saying yeah so it, you it, just- it, one of the things i saw recently that made me crack up because i knew we were going to have this chance to have this conversation is you're often nice. featured in these Davey 504 videos. Uh, for those nice. who don't know, Davey has got like close to 9 million subscribers. He's really yeah. part of the YouTuber culture, but he's yeah. Italian and he plays this sort of straight, sarcastic person who loves video games, but it's all centered yeah. around the electric bass and it's absolutely hilarious. And he yeah. will challenge his, his community to like find me someone who can play better than me or find me the best female bass yeah. players. And without a doubt, no matter what he asks, there's always a Mohini day clip in there. It's hilarious to me. Yeah. The first time it popped up, I was like, okay, what is this? Yeah. And who is this person? It, yeah. Kind of yeah. Like, I don't know who 
this person is and I looked at it and it was so funny because he his eyes go like you know so big when I'm playing that I think he picked up that Gary Willis uh video that yeah, I was um you know exactly. recording for and uh, when I was playing fast he was like oh my god okay uh it's really not my type of uh, you know my type of playing or my type of liking but it's really impressive I think that's what he said and uh, then I I see this thumbnail well as like world's fastest and I was cracking up because I know I'm not and right. like it's just so funny like to see the way he presents his videos and I was just saying like like look at his history look at his involvement from the very first video of his channel to where he is now you know everybody evolves with time and um i think that is so so impressive so one of the last things i'm curious about mohini is bass to me is is often divided into two bigger parts there's many parts to it but for me as a listener because i'm more of a listener than i'm a player one is the bass player who holds a band together holds a song together is called upon in the studio and then the other side is this sort of what I'll call bass solo, what you get from a Michael Manring and those types of, of characters. Yeah. yeah, You're very unique to me because you do both exceptionally well. Yeah. And when you're doing the studio, it's hard for me to imagine the crazy bass soloing or just not even crazy, but just that type of player. <laughs> but yet when you're doing the right. bass soloing, I often think, I wonder what it would be like to hear that in in context with the studio song or something that somebody else had created. Right. Can you talk a bit about how sure. you, how you so, work in terms of, because you do both so well, it's such a beautiful thing. Thank you so much. So, you know, um, I love fluctuations and I love dynamics. Uh, when I say dynamics, I don't mean sonically dynamics, but I mean like any type of dynamics, like different uh, situations, hopping in and out of different situations. And that's, a different sort of dynamic in each box, you know? So I have always never really stuck to anything. I've always uh, been like that kind of person who likes hopping in and out of different situations. So if I'm playing, so I'll give you an example. In India, I work with A.R. Rahman. And uh, that's more like a pop band, you know, where I'm only grooving. There is one spot where I come in the front and I do a little bit of my solo, but it's just like really not even a minute. It's just like, you know, I would say 16 bars or so. But uh, that's the only spot where I get to kind of feature myself a little bit. I do slap a little bit, you know, and all that. And then I come back to my spot and I color the songs because that's what I'm there for. As a kid growing up, uh, having getting introduced to all these different types of music, I saw this wide range of uh, different types of, um, you know, tastes and different types of colors that we can get introduced to. And I, I know like a lot of people will be like, but what do you call yourself as a bass player? I call myself an open bass player. I want you to name it, name me, you know, I can be whatever you want. I say, you know, I always wanted to be like a versatile musician. And so I loved the fluctuations. So if I'm playing with AR for like a year and uh, so, by the way, I've worked, I've been working with AR Rahman for like eight and a half years. And um, then I got um, called by this Japanese band called Bees uh, last year and I got auditioned for that and I got selected and I didn't know how big they were, but I just went for it and um, then I got to know that they're really really big and that's where I discovered this wild side of mine where I was headbanging and running on, running on the stage you know and like interacting with the singer and everything and you know I it, a change is important because 
if you don't challenge yourself and if you don't take risks out of your comfort zone, then you're not never going to find out who you actually can be because maybe you're not the person that you are today. You know, maybe you can change tomorrow and we're always changing with times. And I would say, please be open to changing because it's, it's just with how times are changing and how technology is getting advanced day by day, how generations are, you know, um, uh, switching from one place to the other so quickly. Um, everything's getting advanced. We as people keep our, should keep ourselves updated with time, I say. Otherwise, there will be so many people who would be ready to just take your position and your job is gone, you know, if you're not up to date, up to time. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Totally. So I've always like, you know, really lo loved the fluctuation. And that's why um, instead of doing AR gigs anymore, I started playing with a Japanese band and I was touring with them for four and a half months. And then I come back to India and then I'm playing with all these Carnatic musicians and I re I'm recording my own songs and my own, own uh, you know, creative stuff. And then I'm doing all these um, recording sessions for movie songs. So I love that hopping in and out of different kinds of situations where I get to be the upfront person, but also laid back. And then I could also be in an orchestra and do the, you know, reading part. And then I come back to a situation where I have to be like completely whack and like, you know, out of the world, you know. So I love being different um, uh, pers people, if I may say, like on stage. I'm still the same person, you know what I'm saying, but it's just different roles. I like playing different roles. Well, Mohini, I, I can't thank you enough for your time. You, you, I, often when I, I meet people like you, I, I say you're so inspirational and it's twofold. Thank On one you. fold, I just love watching you play and, and seeing what the boundaries could potentially be. On the other hand, it's inspiring in the sense of you make me never want to play again because it's just, I feel like I got to give up. The Mohini's got it. <laughs> not my intention at all <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so let, Mohini, let people know where to best connect with you is it youtube is it instagram where do you want people to, to find out more about you so if they want to find more about me they can just go on youtube they can get to watch me uh you know do all the crazy stuff on youtube because youtube is flashy there's a lot can, of it you know if you <laughs> yeah and if you want to see the real me you come to instagram which is day underscore base and you can follow me there um, and I post like a lot of my in-house stuff, all my studio stuff happens on Instagram. If I'm recording for somebody, I'll just put up a, click, a clip and everything, a snippet of that. Um, what I do in day-to-day -day life, everything is on Instagram. And if you want to book me, then it, you write to me at mohini.dey662 at gmail.com. That's great. And yeah, on Instagram lately, there's been some beautiful fretless playing, which is also worth checking out for sure after a long long time oh my god it, it's my dad's bass and i've just had to borrow it from him for this one session that uh this guy wanted me to play on so i was like okay can i dad can i borrow your fretless bass and he heard me play and dad was like you can have it you Sorry, play better I, well, than before me. we go i did <laughs> want to ask you how is your, your dad is he still playing what's how active is he oh yeah Oh, he's very active. He still gigs a lot and he's doing great. Yeah. He comes and hangs with me. I would say nowadays we have more uh, daddy-daughter hangs than before. That's great. Because <laughs> well, uh, we have so much time now due to this whole pandemic situation. We're we're uh, playing carom a lot and we um, play each other's music to each other. I, yeah, it's beautiful. It's so nice. Great. Well, Mahini, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me, Mitch. Uh -huh.